this because I believe that it's at the core of what Jesus preached and what we, he was about, and that is that serving people and the call to serve people isn't just, hey, I'll, I'll help you move, or hey, if you need a hand, I'll give you a hand, although we want to be those kinds of people. We want to be the kind of people that say, hey, if you have a need, we'll fill the need, but serving people is so much greater than that because serving people is serving the potential inside each of them and calling them up. In other words, elevating the status of another. In relationship, we are invited into an opportunity to elevate the status of another. So when Jesus served the disciples by washing their feet and he said, go and do likewise, he wasn't like, hey, start liking feet and go ahead and start you know, massaging and loving on one another's feet, although in that culture that would symbolize something. But it was, hey, I invite you to be in one another's lives in such a way that it makes them feel valuable. Valuable. And we, we, we said over and over that, that honor is the recognition of value. And, uh, and Jesus shows us how to elevate the status of another. So if we, we, if we want to see how God would treat somebody here on earth, if we want to see how God would feel and think about others here on earth, then we look at Jesus. And so um, we want to do that now. Hi, everybody online. They can't hear me online with this, huh? That's weird. Okay. No, I'm good. Bear with me. Hi, everybody. Hi, online. Sorry about that. Um... I was just saying how awesome you guys are all, all are online. So if you didn't hear that, that's what I was just saying. So um, we're going to dive into John chapter 9 because it really is the heartbeat of how Jesus would treat somebody. Okay, here we go. It says this in John chapter 9 verse 1. Now, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, you idiots. No, he didn't say that. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, therefore, the neighbors who had said previously had seen that he was born blind said, is this not uh, the man who sat begging? Some said, nah, th this is he. And others said, it's like him. And I love this. And the man, the man, the man kept saying, this is me. I'm he. Therefore, they said to him, how are your eyes opened? And he answered, a man called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes. No, seriously, it's me, guys. <laughs> I love that. What a great picture. Well, Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you want to speak to us in the next few moments. 
God, I pray that you would remove distractions, that you would remove ideas and mentalities and perspectives that maybe are not from you. Maybe we learned them somewhere. Maybe we were taught them by what we saw or what we heard when we were young or God, maybe just we've never seen truly the way that you view us and the way we should view others. And so, Father, I pray in the next few moments that you would give us a brand new lens by which we can see the people around us. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. What an incredible story um, about a nobody meeting a somebody and becoming transformed. And uh, like, I don't know if you've ever had any like strange interactions with strangers, um, but I, this is one of them. Like the, and we're going to get into it. This man had no idea who Jesus was. I mean, there was an entourage following Jesus around. Most people knew, but this guy was blind, and he just sat at the gate. And, you know, back then, you didn't have all kinds of the resources that blind people do now. So this guy was pretty much stuck on an island somewhere by himself at that gate. So he had no idea who this man was. I think it's just kind of, it's kind of comical. I don't know if you've had like some strange interactions with, uh, with people. I I was thinking about this and I I remember I worked at Home Depot when I was 19 years old. It was like my first real job. And I worked um, like pushing the carts in the parking lot. And I remember, I don't even know if I told my parents this before, but there was this guy who came up to me uh, and one of my roles in the parking lot was to load, you know, load people up and help tie down their stuff and everything else. And so I remember loading this guy up and like a pretty nice car and he was dressed pretty nice. He looked like he was in his 40s and, you know, I, I was tying his stuff and he looks at me and he goes, man, like you, you really have like some potential. You, I, I appreciate your work ethic. And I was like, you, you don't know me at all. And he goes, oh, I just, I really think there's something special. But I love your attitude. And at this point, I'm 19, super gullible, super naive. This guy's making me feel good, right? And he goes, are you, are you interested in, in, in an opportunity? And I'm like, me? An opportunity? Yeah, totally. And he hands me his card and he goes, I'd like to take you out to lunch. I have an opportunity. And so... I mean, I can't tell you how gullible I was at a 19-year-old, as a 19-year-old. So I don't think I even came home at that point and told my parents. I just grabbed the, the, the card, called the number, and this guy and I, total stranger who I met in the parking lot at Home Depot right here in Cumber Mountain Ranch, went out to lunch with this guy the next day, and I was amped. I'm like, this guy has an opportunity. It was like a business opportunity. You know, he's like, this, this is going to get you out of here. You're going to make some money. I see some potential in you. I mean, he just did the whole thing. He worked it. So I'm there, and he starts to unpack this, this deal. And it, um, it starts with a, a diagram that looked a lot like a pyramid. <laughs> and he began to articulate how this business can grow and if I can just come up with a certain amount of money to give him, then he'll let me in on this opportunity where we can grow wealth and become rich. As a 19-year-old, I'm like, 
this sounds awesome, but I don't know about the pyramid thing. And I went home and talked to my parents. And they're like, so at this point, I'm like, I'm going to quit my job at the Home Depot, which was the best thing I had going. It was a really good job. And I'm going to, because this guy believes in me. Like, we're going to grow wealth together. (laughs) And my parents were like, yeah, I don't think that's what you think it is. And so I ended up calling in. I'm like, no, I can't do it. Lo and behold, it was like Amway or something crazy, you know. Any Amway people? Okay. So Jesus interacts with this guy. He doesn't know who, who Jesus is. But Jesus changes this guy's life. In such an incredible way. And I want to I show you a simple word. And I've talked about this word before. And we're going to unpack three simple ideas of how we see Jesus changing this person's life. And how he invites us to step into the work of God in one another's life by joining Amway. No, I'm just kidding. The word is delight. I want to talk to you about a simple word, delight. And I've preached on on this word before because I love it. Heather and I discovered this word in counseling when we needed help in our marriage. And he, our counselor, gave us this word as a gift. And he said, delight is one of the most powerful terms and concepts you can have in any relationship. Delight is magical. Delight is from heaven. So the first idea is this. Delight is the expression of personal value. Simple. Delight is the expression of personal value. Now, you delight in something not because something has value. You delight in something because something has personal value. Think about something that you love. Like ladies, maybe look down on your left hand. Hello. You delight in that little diamond right there. At least the married ladies do. Oh, come on, you got to at least look. Give it a glance. Ooh. Remember, like when you go get it cleaned, and you're like, whoa, I forgot how nice that was. That's really great. All right, men, what do we delight in? Fishing boats? I don't know. Just throwing that out there. New, cl- new set of golf clubs. Joe? Golf clubs, too. Okay, good, good. Dan, golf clubs, okay. <laughs> Adam, what were those tickets that you got that were like super expensive for, as a gift to go to like some expo thing? Comic-Con. Comic-Con. Look at him. He's like blushing. He's delighting so much. It's like, woo! He lays in bed and just like thinks about him. Comic-Con. We delight in something... When it holds personal value, it gives us butterflies. It's that, that feeling you had when you've, you know, first met your spouse and you started to like date. And it's just like, ah, oh. all the ladies are like, oh, I wish I still had that. Okay. Um, it's delight. Delight in something that you value. Delight is powerful. Delight says, I refuse to tolerate you. I refuse to treat you as common I delight in you. So, back to the story. Much of the story we can just blow past and we forget what's really going on here. Jesus meets this man. But I I want you to understand where this man was. This man was a crippled, blind man sitting at the gate. 
his whole entire life, because the Bible says that he was blind from birth. So this man was a nobody and had always felt alone. In that culture, if you were, I mean, the disciples said it, if you were blind, if you were crippled, you were considered an outcast because you did something, your parents did something, so that's, that's why you're that way. You are such a lower class person. And so everybody treated you that way. The, the, the streets were made of dirt, so you're filthy because you're literally sitting at the gate all the time, and you're at people's mercy. This man was an unseen man. So Jesus comes along. Everybody knew who this person was. The story tells it. When this, when this happened, everyone's like, wait, isn't that that guy? Like, I know who that is. I see him all the time. He never saw, thought, felt seen, but he was seen all the time because he's the man, he's the beggar, he's the sinner. So I love the story because in the context of what's happening, Jesus is actually running for his life. And we see it in the verse right before we get into the story, which is actually in chapter 8, verse 29, says this. Then they took up stones to throw at him, Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw. A man. So Jesus is running for his life. People are getting ready to stone him. He's running out of the temple, ducking people, trying to not get killed. And in the middle of all that, he has time to see a guy who no one else bothered to see or care about. That is how Jesus views people. It's an amazing moment in time. So I want to show you a couple of pictures. Um, the first picture is the temple. And this is obviously just a mock-up of what's going on here. But I want to show you the context of the story. So you see that building. And there's steps on that building. And that's where Jesus often taught. And that was where he would be coming out of the temple, sort of running from the, uh, the Pharisees. And that's the spot where he met this man standing there on the foot of those steps at the very top, as you can see the picture there, at the very top there, there's those steps next to those four doors. So then from there, all the way down to, go back to that um, slide really quick. So this is the pool, right here. So Jesus was asking this man to go from those steps all the way down to this pool. Now go to the next slide, and this is the terrain this is actual picture that I took in Israel going from the pool, the, the steps, to the actual pool. And that's what it looks like now. That's like a nice version. This was an epic trip. It was like a half of a mile to walk for this man to go from. So it's not like we read this story and Jesus is like, hey, go wash at the pool. And in our mind, it's like the pool's right there. Why, hey, why don't you go wash at the pool? No, Jesus hawks a loogie. Grab, makes some mud from his spit and slaps it on this guy's eyes and then says, take a half mile treacherous walk down this road to that random pool and then make it back. And then let's talk. This was the conversation. This was the moment of delight that Jesus took. And I just like, 
I love getting into the story a little bit and imagining what, the, what, what, what was that conversation that evoked that man to say, yeah, all right, I'll let you spit on me. I'll take a really long, treacherous walk down to a random pool with no hopes of anything happening to me and then coming back. What was that conversation like? Go to the next slide. And this is the actual pool that this man washed in. What it looks like now. The next slide. So this is what the actual pool looks like today. It looked similar to that before. Um, John the Baptist actually baptized people also right here. And so what did, what did that conversation with this man look like? I mean, can you imagine Jesus hawking a loogie? And can you imagine the sound? The guy's blind. He has no idea what's happening. Jesus is just spitting on the ground. And then he's like, hey, hold on just a second. And then he's putting mud from his spit on this man's eyes. He's like, ah, oh, what's happening? I don't know. Right? But I want you to imagine what Jesus is whispering to him. Jesus isn't just doing this. I mean, we don't see or hear or know exactly what was said, but the Bible says that the kinds of things that Jesus did and said were so much that all the, all the books in the world could not contain everything Jesus did and said. So what we see in the Bible isn't limited to the only words Jesus said. So imagine when Jesus is packing this man's eyes, what is he speaking to him that's making this guy have the courage to make this trek? I see you. I see you. There's more in there. I created you. You're special. You matter. There's no other explanation for this man who doesn't know who Jesus is, never seen Jesus, never seen anybody, has no idea, all the hubbub. He's sitting at the gate hoping for some, some, some coins in his pocket to be dropped. And all of a sudden, Jesus has this face-to-face interaction where Jesus is literally laying his God hands on this man, and you know he's whispering. I know who you are. I see you. No one else sees you, but I, I see you. And soon you will see me. Go and wash. This is an amazing interaction with this absolute nobody. Delight is the expression of personal value. Delight says, I see you. I take great pride in you. I see you even when you don't see me. See, this is the hard part. This is where it gets a little epic. When we extend delight, when we extend love and honor to those who don't have the ability to see us yet. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like that. It felt a little one-sided. Maybe it's a boss at work. Maybe it's a colleague. Maybe it's a relationship, friendship. Somebody where you're like, I feel like this is one-sided. It's all me, and it'd be nice if I got something in return. And I promise you, this man had nothing to offer. 
He was at the lowest of low. His expectations for life were so low, he wasn't offering Jesus a thing. And I love this scripture in 1 John chapter 4. It says this, dear friends, let his love, God's love, continually pour from you to one another. Because God is love. Now, don't miss this. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, his love is brought to its fullest expression. What? If we raise our hands in worship, if we attend all the amazing worship experiences and all the amazing conferences, and if we do all the right things and read the Bible and pray so much and we fast and we do all, then God's love's going to swirl around us. No. If we channel the incredible love of God that's poured out through us by the Holy Spirit, poured out upon us, if we channel this love to another, it says, His love is brought to its fullest expression. You want to see God's love? the height and width and depth of the incredible love of God that's so great that we will never fully understand it, but you want to see the most fullest expression of it on earth. Love another. Love another person. See them, delight in them, honor them, value them. Something shows up. And you've experienced it. You've felt that. You've loved another. Sacrificially. And there's something that happens. And I can tell you, that something is so beautiful that it's seen by everybody. Especially the world. They take notice. They don't know what it is. Why? Because it's unworldly. It doesn't make any logical sense, but it's beautiful. So the second idea is this. Delight shouldn't be reserved for the select few. Delight should not be reserved for the select few. I don't, I don't know if you do this, but I, I do. When I read a story like the one we read... I, I always, I, and I don't do it intuitively. I mean, I don't do it intentionally. It's more intuitive. Um, I put myself in the, in the story, and I sort of identify with a specific character. And we do this, right? We, we, like, we're either like Jesus, you know, like the one loving people. Not like we're pretending that we're Jesus, but like in the story, we're, we're the one extending. Or, you know, we're... We're the disciples hanging out. Or maybe we're the one, the crippled man that's like not being loved. It's like, oh, I felt that way before, right? We put ourselves in the story. And I think it's interesting because um, as you look at the disciples, the disciples, they, they saw a mess when they saw this man. In fact, they wouldn't have stopped Jesus stopped when he was running for his life. And then the disciples were like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to pay attention. So they like interject themselves into the story. But rather than saying like, wow, Jesus, look at this person. Thank you for noticing him. It's like, hey, Jesus, um, 
is this, is this man a sinner because of what he's done or because of his parents? Like, massive assumption. Not only do they assume he's a mess, they assume he's a mess because he was an idiot, right? He's done some horrible things, and that's why he's there. But we don't struggle with that. I mean, we don't struggle with assumption at all, right? Assuming motives, assuming why people got a certain way, why they are a certain way. This is the disciples. So then the Pharisees, they didn't see a mess. They saw a rule breaker, right? It's like, wait a minute. This happened on the Sabbath. Amen. Wait a minute. The religious people, the people that knew the Bible, appreciated the Bible, see a man who has been miraculously healed, a man they've seen probably day in and day out. They knew how much he needed to be healed. This guy comes back seeing, walking, jumping for joy, giving God praise, and the only thing they have to say is, um, we have a small concern with this incredible miracle. You did it on the Sabbath. So... I appreciate what you're trying to do here, Jesus, but I'm going to need you to go ahead and undo that and wait till the next day. Okay, because this is not working for us. See, sometimes our expectations, the rules, are more important than the person. And Jesus was making a point. Like, I get the rules. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. But I need to make a point right now. And the point is, people, they're the most important thing. Period. It's the most important thing. That's who I created. That's who I came to die for. They are amazing. Every one especially those that you don't get, you don't understand, you don't even agree with or appreciate. Those people are amazing. And they are more important than your expectations. Mm. Okay, we're moving on. Let me ask you a question. Have you surrendered the power of your love to someone too immature to love you back? Let me explain that. You are a powerful person. And you have the power to extend the incredible, amazing, wonderful, life-changing love of God to others. But sometimes, we don't extend that love. Because that person, they're not mature enough to love me back. So I go you know what, Alex? Instead of me having the power to love you, I'm going to give you that power. And I'm going to say, as soon as you get mature enough to live up to my expectations, then I will resume my power to love you. So now you're powerful over me. Rather than saying, you know what? You know what, Ivan? I don't need you to do anything. Because I'm powerful to love you. And I'm not giving that power over to anybody else. 
So there's nothing you can do to take the power that I have away from demonstrating the incredible love of God by loving you. I'm not going to live a victim a day in my life. Because you can't have that power over me. I get to walk in the love of God. That was a flying kick moment. I get to love you. Where am I? Let me ask you another question. Can you treat somebody with love and value even when you don't trust them, agree with them, or even like them? I want to pause right here and I want to say, Boundaries are important. And again, we're, we're entering into the realm of loving others that are more difficult to love. And we're going to get to the scripture that talks about loving your enemies in a minute. Because, because Jesus says, like, it's easy to love people who love you back, who, who you like and you're friends with. Like, he even says tax collectors and sinners, they do that. That's not what sets you apart. That's not what's demonstrating this incredible love of God. It's loving and extending and not asking for anything in return. And, and I want to say this, that boundaries are sometimes the best way to love somebody. So when we talk about loving people, loving people isn't letting somebody run you over. Right? Sometimes it's setting somebody up with healthy boundaries. This is, not a, this is not a license to give people to just wreak havoc over your life or other people's lives. This is a really important concept, especially if you're in a marriage and if you're ever talking to somebody that's like in an abusive relationship or something ridiculous, right? Like this isn't, this isn't a scripture to go to of like, hey, maybe you should just love them, right? Clear boundaries are helpful. So I want to say that as a caveat, and that's very loving to give people clear boundaries in your life. But that being said, I want to read a scripture, Matthew chapter 5. It says this. Love your enemies, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you, for that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly Father. What reveals our identity? Us being good Christians? Us having a smile? No, it's this ridiculous love of God that we get to extend upon others, even those that are too immature, too hurt, too dysfunctional to love us back. This is the love of God in action. Why do you think this is such a big deal to God? I used to view this as like, I used to view this as this like, the Christian's obligation that was just like this weak. I used to view Christians, especially growing up in high school, you see the little Christian huddle, the Christian club, you know, and they're just like, they don't have, they don't have the right to get angry or frustrated, so they just have to love everybody. But it's just like this fake facade of like, God bless you. And it's just like, this is lame. It's weak. It doesn't have any power. And it just feels so fake. And we just love everybody. And this is how I viewed this. Like, we're just supposed to love everybody. But like, not really. But that's what we say. 
and then it makes us feel good. And then I realized it's an invitation. It's an invitation. God's invitation to you and to me. It's an invitation to not make it about you. But to recognize that we have an opportunity to step into the life of another and elevate their status. Whoever it is that has a hard time loving you back, it's more than likely has very little to do, if nothing, to do with you. And more to do with what's going on in their life. And God brought them you. To serve up this incredible love of God. I delight in you. I see you. I see you as valuable. You're valuable. How do you express that? Well, I don't know. Sometimes you spit on the ground and take mud and put it in somebody's eyes. it's, It's different every time. How do you express delight? Well, I think the most important thing is it comes from right here. Only you, only you can stand before God and say, no, I actually, I actually have chosen delight in my heart towards that person. I've chosen not to just tolerate them, not to treat them as common, not to treat them as just kind of like, eh, kind of a pest. I've chosen delight. And it's a choice. I've chosen to see them as something I personally value. This is a supernatural work of God. It's the only only explanation. I mean, you can easily delight things that you actually value. But to place a value from heaven on a person, because it's about people. It's not about you. It's about people. And I'll be the first to admit that this message is absolutely slaying me because I live with Mother Teresa. She is the most loving person and comparatively, I'm like way down here. Truthfully, I mean, I'm not, this is not self-deprecating, just truthfully. And the Bible is a double-edged sword and when I preach, I get hit. But this is what we do. We choose to see one another as valuable. What is it an invitation? It's an invitation, lastly, that delight has the power to produce change. Delight has the power. Delight has the power. And I think that this is the kind of the bottom line. And if you don't hear anything else, I really want us to tap into this. I really want us to believe this and to buy into this. And it's a work of the Holy Spirit in our heart to really believe love works. Love works. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, I can very easily give in to the lie that ultimately becomes a stronghold in my life that that keeps me. Stronghold is a lie that you believe. So it becomes a glass ceiling for your life. If we're not careful, we we give in to a lie that becomes a stronghold in us. And the, the lie is simple. Love doesn't work. Patience doesn't work. 
long-suffering doesn't work. Believing all things doesn't work. You know what works? Controlling people. You know what works? High expectations. Dismissing people. That works. Works for me. Love works. It's the only thing. Listen, listen, I'm preaching myself. It's the only thing that produces heart change in a person's life. Acceptance always precedes change. When we want change to happen, it starts with acceptance. This is when our relationship with God. We, we begin to change because we realize God accepts us and he loves us first. He loves us first. He first. He first. He first. He loves us first. And then we're drawn in by that and say, God, change me. Let me become different because of your love. And it's the same thing as we extend that love to others, as we're patient, as we're long-suffering, as we wade in with people's mess and dysfunction. We believe supernaturally, God, I thank you that this is not only changing me, because I'm becoming more like you, Jesus. But it's changing them. It's, it's your love is going in and it's changing the DNA of who they are. It's slicing through the insecurities they have and the fears they have. And it's why they act this way. It's an iceberg. There's like a little bit on the top, but there's all this down there. And the love of God, it's going in and it's changing their life. And in the meantime, it's changing mine. Because I'm learning that this life it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my desires. It's not about everybody has to do what I need them to do. This is about me stepping into the incredible love of God. And from that place, extending it to another and saying, I see you. I delight in you. I value you. Because I see now with heaven's eyes. And with heaven's eyes, I would never walk past that gate. I would never leave you sitting like a beggar. Everybody else missed it. But Jesus shows up and he says, that man right there, he's worth stopping everything. And taking an entire chapter out of John chapter 9. The entire chapter is dedicated to this guy who's an absolute nobody. And today we don't even know his name. But Jesus said, I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to show everybody that it's about people. So I'm going to have delight in him. And I'm going to require nothing in return. This guy didn't accept Jesus right there. He slapped some mud on the guy's eyes and says, go to the pool and you're going to be transformed. You're going to be healed. He comes back. He's better. And Jesus is gone. He still doesn't know who Jesus is at this point. The Pharisees, they ridicule this guy. They took the whole chapter to go, oh, you're, you're nobody and who are you? And you did it on the Sabbath and get out of here. They cast him out and Jesus comes back because of this guy's importance to Jesus. One person left the 99. Jesus left saving the world, which is what he was doing. And he comes back to this guy and finds him. And because of the incredible place that God had opened up, because of the incredible place love had opened up, Jesus says, how you doing? And he goes, man, I can see you now. Who are you? And Jesus leads him to believe in him right there. Love transforms lives. 
Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to step into something that is unearthly. On our own accord, God, we can get a group together and we can find common place and Lord, we can develop friendships and do our very best to treat people kindly. All those things are nice, but Jesus, I sense you drawing us and inviting us into something that is not something we can do on our own. But it's something that you came to demonstrate and invite us into. And that is allowing the Holy Spirit to pour out the love of God in our hearts and allow it to flow through us to another. And so, Father, I pray that you'd give us new eyes. New eyes. That every person that we come in contact with, every divine appointment that you bring to our lives, every relationship, they would become new and delight would replace tolerance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.